Sakat. This is Arsetekun at Y, Indigenous Words and Ideas, coming at you after a little while. With, uh, uh, but in the current uh, uh, circumstance that we find ourselves globally, I find myself working at home at the moment, which I'm grateful that I have the ability to do so. However, also stressed in managing, taking uh, care of uh, our four young children and somehow managing to do some of the work that I'm expected to do um, because frankly it's not going to happen in the same way uh, as it would have before um, things have changed and so I'm trying to sneak in a few episodes while I uh, prepare online lectures and classes and then have to mark assignments as well. Just going to share some thoughts tonight on the current circumstance we find ourselves in. I wanted to begin with just addressing one of the things that has been kind of bothering me is the term social distancing. The reason it bothers me is because I I don't think it's the correct term to use. I've seen um, some people challenge this. Annie, who was in a previous episode, posted something on uh, IG that I really liked where she referred to it as social intimacy. And I think that's a, a much better way of thinking about Um, how we should be interacting at this time where we should maintain our social ties while being physically distant. And the the problem with social distancing is it assumes um, that to be distant socially, which I don't think is what we need right now. We need to be socially close, however, physically distant. Um, And what I mean by that is that we need to uh, remember our connection to society um, because even though we're being physically distant, we're still dependent on each other and the social systems that are in place, which includes being physically distant to each other, um, but also not allowing uh, ourselves to become isolated uh, and maintaining social connection through digital space, um, such as this. And so with that regard, I'm gonna follow that lead and say, let us be socially intimate while we are physically distant. And just a few thoughts um, that I wanted to share in in thinking about this is also kind of observations from what's happened in the last week. So we're currently uh, entering in day six now of the level four um, restrictions here in Aotearoa in New Zealand. And Prior to it, it was a couple days before we went into level four lockdown. Once it had been announced, we had kind of a 48-hour preparation window before we were going to get to this level where pretty much healthcare and supermarkets are open and very little else outside of that. So that's been an interesting uh, experience so far. And prior to that, like, you know, we didn't have the means to go uh, to a big shop. um, And so we went couple days before once we were able to just get a few things really but it was crazy busy at the supermarket it was so many people and i can't imagine what it was like the the day before we went into level four restrictions and even now you know uh there's all kinds of lines um still like any time of day but that's something that you know got me thinking because when i went to the supermarket most of the people that were there uh looked like me so these were mostly brown folks that i saw um, there were a couple of white folks, and I'm assuming they were working class because of the way they were dressed and the way they were uh, talking, and frankly, because they were there with us, <laughs> and so uh, the rest of us. And so although I have social privileges because of the degrees that I have and the and the kind of work that I'm able to do at the moment, 
economically, I'm at the same level as folks in my, my neighborhood, especially with a large family. And so even having some social privileges doesn't allow me all of them. And that's why I was there that night. And it was really interesting to observe. So it's like I can I have the, the privilege of access to information and can kind of foresee things happening, but didn't have the economic means to really do anything about it. So there was a really great, I guess, uh, vine that uh, um, Isoakava put up on, on Instagram. If you don't follow him, check him out. And he was walking around the supermarket and he's like, hey, observing all the panic shoppers and thinking, oh, that must be nice. I'm just panicking. So I I I thought it really uh was uh resonated with me. And and that evening, man, it was so long just to get through and to get to the end. But by this point, the panic shoppers, the middle class folks who had the ability to panic shop, had done so and impacted the the way everybody else was gonna have to shop from there on out because that evening they had ration restrictions. So you couldn't get more than two of any item pretty much in the supermarket. And when I was getting close to the front, there was a a person that was two kind of people before me and I could kind of see what was going on. And I could see that this person was getting quite frustrated because they had put like seven cans or not, it was like six cans of uh, canned spaghetti. And then they were being told at the counter that they could only take two. And they were like, really? And so they were told to put the rest on this other counter, which was, full, a pile full of pretty much everything I imagine people were being told that they couldn't take because of the rationing system. And, you know, this person, you know, realized that, you know, the the workers there just are, are do, doing what they're being told to do and, and they kind of de-escalated the, themselves and, and their frustration. But fair enough, you know, I, I could see that because the rationing came as a result of the panic shoppers who had the privilege and ability to go and hoard supplies, which um, will allow them to stay in for who knows how long, whereas working class folks are going to have to regularly go to the supermarket. And really, if we want to uh, combat this thing in the way that all the science seems to be pointing is that everyone's able to be physically distant. But if only some people can and others can't, that doesn't really take this uh, virus out of circulation in the society, does it? And so that's one of the things that, you know, made me think of and why we need to maintain social closeness and intimacy and and uh, social consciousness if, because we're all connected, whether we like it or not. We're, we're connected in a society. We're connected on this on this planet. And. So that was one of the things that the first observations that I had, you know, a couple of days before we went into level four uh, restrictions here. And, and since it's been, uh, you know, uh, kind of interesting as well, making observations in the neighborhood. You know, I try to go out most days, you know, just around the block and we're, we're not far from Waiahiku. And so I try to go walk around there uh, or do some exercise. Um, well, I try to go run. But the reality is, is it's running for me, but everybody else watching me is probably seeing somebody struggle to jog (laughs) or that's walking kind of briskly or or fast. So that's probably what it looks like to everybody else. But for me, I'm running. (laughs) And usually when I go and I do this, people will physically distance themselves from me, particularly white women, not all of them, but enough that I notice when it happens. And so it's something I'm always aware of when when I'm there. And so it's been interesting to kind of observe how, how that 
uh, plays out now with the current uh, response of, of physically distancing. This is something that happens on public transport as well, which I rely on. And so when, I, when I, I'm on the bus or the train and they start to get busy and all the seats are getting you know packed up, for the most part, people don't sit down next to me. And when they do, it's like the last option. Apparently, I have a very menacing uh, face or demeanor. Or maybe it's just because I'm a, a bit wider and they don't... Uh, they they prefer to find a, a chair where they have more room sitting next to somebody, maybe. Um, so those are all possibilities. However, uh, I can't help but notice the the same kind of thing play out, whether I'm on public transport or on whether, you know, uh, doing my my uh, my run uh, or exercise. And so now it's kind of like, you know, as people are doing it, it's it, it's it's not new to me, but it's also like maybe intensified and there's other people doing it now. And so it's just an interesting observation uh, that I've been thinking about as well. Once that we, we now that we, we've gone into level four kind of restrictions here in Aotearoa. But I wanted to share a few um things that I've been reading online that I think are quite interesting and and uh, worth thinking about at this time. And kind of beginning, there's a, an article on uh, newsroom.co.nz um, by uh, Dr. David Maeda and Dr. Shara Kremen called Love in the Time of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus or Rona or Roni, as I've heard also across the internet. And one of the things that they share in dealing with this, right, where they talk about how, so this is from the article now, quote, on one hand, epidemiological research and, glo- and recent global events show us the dangers of not responding swiftly with community spread now within our shores. It is critical we follow government orders to self-isolate and do our collective part to flatten the curve. On the other hand, longstanding sociological research warns us to the dangers of social isolation during periods of rapid community transition and when individuals are severed from social ties, society experiences spikes in suicide and suicide ideation. Aotearoa, New Zealand is no stranger to this social ill with suicide rates increasingly increasing significantly in 2018 among teenagers, Pacific peoples and Maori in particular males, close quote. So they, they bring up the importance again of uh, maintaining close social ties and they they also offer uh, and suggest that we do so through the digital means that we have, the digital networks that we have available to us. And so I'm sure folks are already doing that, but, but keep that in mind of how do we maintain our consciousness and awareness of our social connections. And, and at times, you know, the people that we don't know, especially if you're dependent on a supermarket like myself, that... Uh, you know, where is the food coming from? Who's preparing it? Who's, you know, facilitating? So I'm dependent on these social relationships, even if I don't have um, close ties to them. So that's on one hand. And then also people that you know, and people that you should kind of keep in mind and try to remain close with during this time. There was a couple of other things as well, though, that I thought were interesting to, to think about. This is a recent article um, from I Tangata from March 29th, 2020 by Patrick Thompson titled, We're All in This Together. Yeah, nah. And he he makes a lot of really interesting observations. It helped articulate some of the things that I was thinking and observing as well as, as and also adding some other points that I hadn't been aware of. So I'm just going to share a couple quotes from, from his writing. 
Uh, quote, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm writing this piece during our country's first ever nationwide lockdown thanks to COVID-19 and that some people might find it distracting to talk about race in a time of national emergency, which we've been reminded again and again requires total unity for us to overcome. Close quote. And he goes on to explain the, you know, this, this, this mantra of we're all in this together doesn't really play out that way when it comes to equitability, when it comes to access, when it comes to who gets to do what and who has to do what, you know. And I think about my experience at the supermarket and thinking about, and then on the other hand, I have the privilege of being able to, one, I still have a job, and then I also have, I'm able to work from home. And so that's not the case for a lot of other people. And so he, he also brings up, you know, which events were, were being uh, closed down first, um, like the Pacifica Festival, Polyfest, while St. Patrick's Day parades were allowed to go on, of which ended up resulting in uh, community transmission um, here in Altero as well, contradictorily enough, right? Uh, he also goes on to uh, bring up the point of certain stores that are frequented by working class people that pe- some had petitioned to close down. While some bougie-ass food stores are were petitioned to remain open as essential. So what do we have access to and what do we don't? And so although I'm not against the, the requirement of minimizing, however, what's considered essential to who, you know, comes to mind, you know. And ever since this uh, level four went in, I've seen so many sponsored ads come up on my social uh, media of, of and I and I go check a lot of them out because I'm like, hey, you know, delivery, cool. I'll check that out. You know, if it saves me from going to the supermarket, you know, maybe worth it. But a lot of them I looked at, man, this is expensive, uh, way more than going to the supermarket. And a lot of it is just like this, you know, hipster food. It's my way of saying kind of really privileged food. And I'm sure it's great and I'm sure it's healthy, but it's expensive. That's my point. And that's what I've seen. Yet, you know, the foods that were essential to the neighborhood that I'm at, whether they're healthy or not, you know, it's another issue, but that nonetheless were essential to as far as calories and access, um, those are all closed down. And so Thompson brings these points up quite powerfully. There's another point that, that he brings up that I think is is worth kind of just considering as well, right? So he says, quote, I think as a nation, we're afraid of the word racism. We like to believe that we're the better country next to our sorry neighbors across the ditch. I don't think New Zealanders should be scared to use the word. We should bathe in its discomfort, scratch as much as possible, find how deeply it goes. By mapping its parameters, we can actually do something about it. If New Zealand truly wants to be the changed country that some people proclaim it to be, it needs to get over its own tidy, carefully manicured self-image of being a racial utopia. New Zealand hasn't changed. It's still as racist as ever, but I believe in its potential. I know one thing we have going for us is that a great many people do want to get it. It's why New Zealand Twitter is full of Pakeha with good intentions. And now, having said all of that, to conclude, I want to acknowledge just how great it is to be home. Kia kaha, Aotearoa. Close quote. And so Dr. Thompson closes it up that way. And I think it's worth considering and thinking about uh, seriously at this time. Because one of the other points that he brings up, which I've seen others uh, also bringing up, is that it's during moments of stress that you rev- you know reveal things. If you think about people and personalities, this is 
I believe, true also. Like when people are stressed or in moments of stress, you, you begin to see different sides of their character. And that is true, I believe, also for society. To to speak to that, there was another article that I, that I think is worth, worth taking a look at as well from the Indian Collective uh, by Jade Begay from March 13th, 2020, called Decolonizing Community Care in Response to COVID-19. And in this, Begay states the simple truth, quote, the simple truth is that this disease is causing suffering and inequity across the world to people's bodies, their livelihoods, their spirits, and emotional well-being. Furthermore, we are only as strong as the most vulnerable person in our community. So now more than ever, it is imperative for us to decolonize from individualism and reconnect with ways of community care, close quote. And so again, it's a, for me, just again, speaks to the importance of social intimacy. And even if that's in indirect ways, and so direct ways would be digitally connecting with people and indirect ways would be recognizing how we're connected to these essential services that are, are still running. And often people who do not have or have not been treated fairly in the workplace or have the ability to to be protected and taken care of. Um, and it's different across places. I, I think it's a lot worse in the U.S. from what I'm observing, but it's definitely still an issue here in Aotearoa as well as to the workers who are on the front line and, and constantly being put at higher risk than others, whether that's a supermarket or a healthcare worker. Right. Um, and in the case of the U.S., things that I've seen is who has the ability to take the time off? Are you getting paid time off? And again, the way that that, that plays out. And so with something that is as uh, contagious and doesn't show symptoms like um, SARS-CoV-2, this is, uh, you know, even more imperative that we're, we're aware of the how we're connected socially, uh, directly and indirectly. And another a point that Begay brings up is um, to build community and states, quote, when we are all able to quiet all the worries, the media, the public frenzy of this time and think about the big picture, we can see that this moment is an opportunity to come together in community and care and preparation. And continues on to say, in times like this, we need to identify who in our community is most vulnerable and strategize the best ways to protect them. We need to think about food security and not in a capitalist and individualistic sense, but in a collective sense. We need to reflect on some important questions, like, are we growing crops in the summer to store and feed our communities during times like this? What are our most fundamental values that our community has to draw upon in high-stress moments like this? How do we make decisions, and how do we not turn on each other? Close quote. And I, for me, I think that's really important, because each moment, which I really don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to have to deal with something like this, um, and it may continue to get worse, especially with a lot of other factors within the climate crisis. I'm not going to get into the ecological impacts at this time because I'm trying to set up a, a interview with someone who who will, will will discuss a little bit more about that. But thinking about how this is a learning moment because there will be likely more uh, such experiences until we uh, have a major consciousness shift in a really significant way and take meaningful transformative action, uh, which would require dismantling uh, our, our current systems as they exist, economic systems and ideologies attached to them to make something else and to create something new and different. This uh, Begay makes a really uh, powerful statement that I would like to kind of build on and it says, quote, 
We cannot go back to business as usual after this experience. We have to apply what we learn to our lives, to our politics, and to our relationships, so that if and when this happens again, whether it's a pandemic or a climate catastrophe, we can be fully prepared as communities. This might look like voting in November or working for Medicare for all in your state or region or working within your community to build gardens and food banks, bringing in, in renewable energy so we're not dependent on grids or oil and gas. This moment can feel scary and strange, but again, when you quiet worries and the fears, it's moments like this that really urge us to become strong, innovative, holistic-minded, and resilient peoples. Close quote. And I think that's a, um, a important thing to kind of think of as well for, for me at this time, because I've been thinking a lot about how do I articulate stuff that I've, I've been thinking about for a long time, actually, you know, in, in imagining a, a more ideal society. I don't, I don't believe in a utopian society. Uh, in the future, I think we're complex. I think we're going to have conflict as human beings. But how do we learn from the past and uh, have a more realistically responsive society that anticipates conflict, that mediates conflict, that prevents conflict, um, but it, it accepts that it's, it's part of being social. Um, and at the same time is uh, dealing with our contemporary issues and challenges. And so for me, this has been kind of trying to imagine some of these things and also being on guard because on one hand, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on the stuff that I'm hopeful of, which is a transformative action, um, but this is a moment where uh, things like uh, disaster capitalism come into play, such as uh, in Naomi Klein's work, where um, she talks about how it is during crisis that predatory capitalist exploitation seizes uh, that moment as well and is constantly waiting for the next crisis. And um, this is from her book in, uh, called The Shock Dog. Doctrine. You know, there's been, I've been watching all kinds of interviews with her and, and reading articles of interviews with her as well at this time. And she talks about how these are the perfect conditions for governments and, and global elites to implement political agendas that otherwise would be met with great opposition. Um, and this, you know, has been going on for a long time, but in particular, really kind of took off um, after uh, the Bush administration in 9-11, if you think about the Patriot Act and the way that came into play with uh, the propaganda of the Iraq War, but also how that undermined constitutional rights. And this is the mantra that not just the U.S., but nationalist projects play out in powers of, of the state in seizing more power or attempting to seize more power on one hand, and then capitalist projects um, trying to exploit um, the economic uh, crisis in those moments. And, and in the case of China, I've been observing as well, just what I can see online, how, you know, on one hand, taking drastic measures which are necessary, but on the other hand, the manner in which those were taken increases the authoritarian power and even surveillance of its citizenry. And so, although these are these things are playing out differently in both China and the U.S. and, and, and here in Aotearoa as well and other places, they're nonetheless, uh, these are cautious moments that there's moments of opportunity that I want to focus on but I also want to maintain a, a caution in that these are also moments that can be easily exploited with propaganda and mantra of it's for your protection which there does need to be protection um, however who do we trust to do that and how do we trust that to play out and how do we negotiate being responsible and practical as well as um, pushing for more at the same time
So just to, to close it up uh, for, for this one, just to kind of keep it short, but just sharing some thoughts because I haven't really been able to organize a whole lot um, for this moment, but wanted to share a few things during this time now that I've been able to kind of recover a bit kind of disappeared once the level four went just because I had to adjust to the situation and just kind of deal with it. Um, and on one hand, super happy to be at home with, with uh, our, our kids. I love I love that. But at the other hand, it's like all my work is in night and so I'm getting a lot less sleep than, than usual. And so that's, uh, I just kind of disappeared because of that and I'll kind of be on and off because of that as well. But I'm going to try to sneak in a few episodes here. But just to, to close it up, one, I'm hoping everybody's staying safe and being able to um, maintain social intimacy, uh, both directly and indirectly, uh, while being responsible and being physically distant um, so we can uh, uh, face this thing. And, and I'm really hoping, uh, critically, <laughs> again, my expectations are, are, are different, but what I'm critically hopeful of is uh, in imagining... Uh, a different possibility coming out of this and learning from it because we're going to deal with more definitely i believe what would a more ideal situation be uh in this circumstance that would still be difficult because you know uh unplanned uh crises uh, are one thing is glaringly clear to me is uh, that our current political economic system is absolutely unsustainable. It doesn't seem to be working for anybody, including the rich who are also needing a bailout at this time and probably the, be the ones that are going to get it. So political economy needs to be completely transformed, in my view. Uh, that's that's one. So what would, what would a, a different way look like? And again, I'm just imagining here. But what would it be like to have universal access to health care, you know, on a global scale? You know, within local contexts, universal access to housing, because that's another issue, right? Property, I don't even get into it because it's just, it's frustrating, but I will mention briefly, right? As soon as the announcement went that was going to be level four and a lot of people were going to be left at home not working, I got an email very soon after from our uh, property managers that was a, it wasn't a nice email. It was like a threatening one of, you need to make sure you still pay rent, like you're still responsible to pay rent. And I'm like, what? what is this? And apparently I'm not the only one that got that. So that's why I bring up housing, right? Um, and again, I'm thinking, anticipating the future because a lot of the, the jobs that currently exist are increasing going to be automated and replaced or transformed or, or who knows, right? And so what do we do then, right? And what do we, and uh, how do we create a, a different society, a better society? Um or maybe it's the more sustainable one, maybe a better way of putting it. And so, yeah, housing, healthcare, K through 20 education. And again, it's because I'm, I'm in this area too. And when, when can education be more than just f how people are forced to make of it now for a job and for status? When can it be about life skills, social skills, learning how to be a, a, a better person, as well as learning practical skills uh, as well, and skills that could be useful for a job, but that isn't primarily based on that. Um, that's about becoming a whole person. Universal access also possibly to staple foods, right, depending on where you're at. Now, again, these might seem far-fetched and, you know, uh, unrealistic, but there have been different societies 
in different parts of the world in the past uh, that where this was the case. Now, also the circumstances in the past were, were quite different as well than, than now. And we have to also reconcile the, the baggage of colonization, racism, patriarchy, and all the other isms that plague us this to this day within our modern uh, paradigm that has to be taken into to account. But how do we imagine and think about how that could work? And, and again, I really don't know if this works on a really large scale, but what would it look like to have, you know, autonomous, interdependent communities that are connected globally? I don't know. It's just stuff I've been thinking about. I think about all the time, actually. But particularly in these moments, right? What do we learn from them and, and what's actually going to happen as, as we move forward? And invite you to do the same. Think about the reality of what's coming in the future in a variety of ways and what would need to, to happen to, to live differently, to live well, as uh, a lot of indigenous folks say in Abiyala, um, in uh, one of the Maya languages in, in Ishimulewa, it's Utskazleman, to live well. How can we have a good life? Uh, how can we live well, right? Which isn't about limitlessness growth and exploitation of of people or of land uh, but how do we live well with the natural eco ecological limits of our planet and our world recognizing what we what we need and what's enough and also uh, dealing with the reality of where we're at today so i'll leave it at that with with all of you hope everyone's uh, doing well stay tuned for some upcoming episodes uh, i'm not sure yet what they'll be on uh, but i'm talking to a few uh colleagues and, and friends who uh, are kind enough to to share their their wisdom and knowledge that we'll get up on here in the next uh, couple of weeks or so until then uh, live well